Do you wanna play a game? Do you like scary movies? Do you wanna eat some brains? Is your chainsaw arm groovy? How bloodthirsty could a talking plant be? Eat your liver with some fava beans and a nice candy. Come play with us forever, cause down here we all float. I never drink wine, so you're gonna need a bigger boat. Or a throat to choke, whether you're in the prim or dairy. Got red rum where your blood from, put your dead son in a cemetery. It's him or carry, be very afraid. You'll be our number one fan and get carried away. All working, no play, you know it always means you're in trouble, son. I came to chew gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. What if Quint killed Jaws' his father? What if the Bob's body was marijuana? What if the leprechaun got a job as a bank guard? What if the Wolfman had a cowbell instead of Every Nars? scary movie made since Oscar Wilde was writing letters Had canon to watch them all and tell you how to make them better So put your earbuds in and forget what you're planning It's time to take our heads and shoot them out of a cannon 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 Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Head cannon. Head cannon. Welcome head to head cannon. Tonight we're just diving in because because you know her, you love her, you're glad she's back. Nicole Bruce, welcome back to the show. I think you're our first repeat guest, so so congratulations. Am I? Yeah, I believe That's so. Exciting. I think so. Awesome. Yeah, so Am we had. I repeat this, I mean... I'm the first person who was uh, bossy enough to be like, make, let me, let me back in. Let me back <laughs> no, in, guys. It was actually, it was like, it was, it was almost, I don't know if it's serendipitous the word. Cause we recorded, um, what did we do? Fright night back in September. Yeah. And then I was thinking, cause I know, cause I love the scream movies. So we're covering today. We're covering 1996 of scream. I, I was right at the right age. Was I 12, 13 when that came out? I, I got swept up in it. I love the scream franchise. And I knew that the fifth one is coming out in January. And I was yes. thinking, I was like, yeah. oh, I was like, it would be great to do a Scream episode for January. I wonder if I can get anybody to do that. And then you messaged you, you messaged us after we recorded and you were like, hey guys, if you want to like do something, I'm down for whatever. I don't know, maybe Scream. And I was like, yeah, fucking yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like for a lot of reasons, some more esoteric than others, um, I am a great guest to have for the Scream episode. Okay. <laughs> why, is that, why is that? What are some of those reasons? Um, well, I mean, and, and, and Brent might be uh, slightly more privy to this, but uh, the the whole Drew Barrymore sort of thing, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. that, that whole aspect and part of it. Um, and obviously I, I did uh, Casey Becker um, as one of the portraits this past year for the 31 Days makeup thing. Mm -hmm. Um Oh, and great. Yeah. Will, and what's funny actually is I got a lot of comments on that portrait about I mean, people were sort of like, wow, this one's uncanny. And what's funny to me is I've, I've always sort of resembled Drew, mm -hmm. not in a uncanny way. I mean, I did have to actually reshape my face, but not by that much. <laughs> and so what was sort of funny years. to me. Is that yeah? I mean, I, I mean, compar comparatively to some of my other portraits, I barely had to change much on my face. <laughs> and then I'm getting these comments from people that are like, "Holy, oh my gosh, that that's crazy. That looks freaky. You know, it, it's so much like her." And I'm like, "This is, I mean, 
I still pretty much look like me. I look like this. <laughs> I just don't have blonde hair and, you know, some things have been softened right. on the face and whatever, but I'm like, that's, that's weird. It just doesn't look <laughs> that's that. That's a lovely way like of saying I've gotten older. <laughs> things have softened on the face. Let's, oh. uh, I'm going to steal that. Like it's, that. It's, it's true, though. I mean, I will say definitely – I I think I looked more like uh, Ms. Barrymore um, when I was, you know, 16. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe not so much anymore. So as I said, some things definitely had to be softened. <laughs> um, yeah. But, what? you know, and obviously, like, even re-watching the, the movie, I just, I, in, in between remembering sort of the, the horror that occurs, the very real horror that occurs, um, in the film, found myself sort of snickering and laughing because I remember doing a Drew Barrymore impression after I saw her in this film. And I was just, you know, and I had to pause it and sort of get it out of my system. And then I went back and watched the rest of the opening because it's just, it's, it's, it just makes me laugh, you know? Yeah. And that is said with great reverence and love because I actually think this is maybe one of her best roles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not, most of my impressions are sort of a bit out of mockery, <laughs> though I adore her, but I don't think she's a right. Well, and yeah, and then she's she's a wonderful actor. She's a, a a gorgeous woman, and and it's yeah, it's not even anything negative, but she does have a very like idiosyncratic like way of talking and moving her mouth, and like it's oh my goodness, yes, it's very. She unique. has a lisp. It's out of the side of her mouth all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, it's adorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's all this right. Like it's just it's this. Yeah, he's big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. you know, <laughs> except she's screaming and crying. And so somewhere in there that like out of the side of the mouth lisp thing also sort of becomes like mouth breathing mm-hmm. and like all of her like M's become B's <laughs> like that's the sound, you know, and it's just it because there's so many things going on when she starts like crying and screaming into the phone mm-hmm. and. Yeah, the, the setting is so amazing too because it's like it's a house with all these huge windows. Yeah, yeah right. it's like the worst house to be attacked in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like you have a feeling of security because there are these these panes of glass there, but like and it's dark outside and you just you don't know where the where it's going to come from. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you, and you suddenly get that sensation of like I could be being watched from any direction, and it definitely traumatized me from that point on. Of like, I I never wanted to walk past a window in my own home at night. Yeah. After that, after I watched that movie, I was scared out of my mind. Yeah. Well, you want to act, and I, and I read I read a lot about you know like looking out a window and seeing a face out the window because of this movie, and I, yeah, and that's just kind of a common fear. But yeah. there there was one time when I was working in Indianapolis and we were living yes. in in Greenwood. Um, Good story. So I was so I was working in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, you know, we were living in Greenwood. So my my wife was at the apartment with the kids, and she calls me. And apparently, what had happened was she was cleaning. I guess she had been using some bleach and some strong strong chemicals in the bathroom. So there was like a the the main living area, and then off to the side there was a bedroom, and then a bathroom beyond it. And the whole place like reeked of bleach and chemicals. So she just like opened the window to let the chemicals out and close the bathroom door. Or, I'm sorry, close the bedroom door, right? So she's just there with the kids. They're hanging out. And, like, one of our dogs just keeps barking at the bedroom door, right? 
And he's like barking and barking and barking and just going. And she's like, what the fuck is going on with this dog? So she like goes into the bedroom and her purse is in the middle of the floor in the bedroom. Right. And she's like, she's like, that's fucking weird. Like I didn't leave my purse in the middle of the floor. That's odd. So she like, she's looking around and she goes over to the window and there's a guy standing there holding our screen because he had obviously like taken the screen off come in he had come in he was going through our stuff and then he heard the dog barking whatever he had gone back out the window and he was putting the screen up when she came in the room so she walks over and this dude is like holding a screen to the window and that's like the only thing between the two of them and she doesn't see him at first though right she She doesn't, doesn't see him yet she doesn't see him at first she's like looking out the window and then realizes after a second or two that she's like staring into the face of this man who's just outside of our window. Uh, and, uh, and he, so he bolt, he takes off running fortunately. And, and it was fine. Like I beat the cops there from downtown Indianapolis. I got there before they did. And apparently it was a guy they've had this like other apartments down there. He would just like break into houses. And most of what he stole was just like some beer and like a pack of tube socks. So he was like some random dude in Greenwood was just like breaking into places, not really taking much, maybe if they had cash around and, but yeah, it was like, it was like freaky as hell and obviously like traumatized her for quite a while, you know? Yeah. You know what sucks about that is like when you guys first moved, you guys made a, made a deal with the apartment complex that you had like an upstairs unit Mm -hmm. and then Nicole, they bring all their shit. Sorry. All their stuff. Be one more word respectful of your things. Uh, all their stuff, like to the apartment complex, and then they, they, they're like, "Yeah, all we have is this bottom floor unit." Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and my wife wanted a second story unit specifically for, for that, that reason. reason. Well, and the, and the wild thing is, when we first moved up to Indianapolis, we moved there for her to go to grad school, and we lived. We moved to the west side of Indianapolis at like thirty seventh and Guyon Road, right there by speed the Speedway, and. You know all it, those murders that happen on the news? Like, when you move up to Indianapolis, Nicole, when you move to Indy, like, those things that happen on the news that you hear about down in Bloomington, like, that's, that's like, you're like, oh, that's, like, that's, that's like, down the street. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, well, and so, and, we, and like, we heard gunshots regularly living on the wet. So we were, like, we're, but the weird thing is, we never had a problem. No problems, right. no issues, no, everything was fine. Like, we'd hear gunshots every now and then, but it was fine. And then as soon as we moved to Greenwood, like, boom, somebody, like, breaks in and is, like, in our apartment, you know? Uh, I remember in high school. Do you guys remember Charles? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, sorry. You've had him on our dangerous podcast. But, yeah. um, and this had to have been after it because I remember sort of having, like, that sensation of, like, this is not actually happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I clearly must have seen Scream by this point. And... I remember, uh, just as a joke, just to sort of be, he thought he was being funny. Um, he left, there were a bunch of post-its left like on my windows and like front door, um, one night, like in the middle of the night. And it just was like, the Baron was here. And I was like, what? I, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know who this is. I don't know what is going on. I mean, I was seconds from calling the police and then put it together that Charles used to drive a Chrysler LeBaron. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to kill him. 
<laughs> well, that's that's funny, and and much love to that dude. Like Brent said, we've had him on our show before, but I feel like that oh, was his. I his... know where Charles now. It's it's fine. Right, great dude. I made amends very quickly after the fact, but in the moment, I was horrified, and then very quickly turned to rage. Right. Well, and, and was I it, feel was like it him that, that um, didn't he like damage Miss Rodemaker's like gutters or something like that? Well, that's 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 what I was gonna say. His like his. Oh, we're his... Right? Oops, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. His his sense of humor, I feel like, especially back in in high school, was not having any idea where the line of like decency and and like like no concept of when when was too far. Um. So yeah, I think. It was Charles and maybe a couple other guys, but they were like throwing fireworks at Miss Rodemaker's house, and and they yeah they ended up setting it on fire and like I think melting some of the siding or something. So they had to pay to fix it, and the way that he paid was he took a wheelbarrow full of pennies to her house, and that's how he. You don't remember this? <laughs> no, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, yeah. So he tried to pay her in pennies to fix the damage that. So yeah, it's just that, especially in high school, like no concept of when when was too much, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing too is that like I like nothing else in my situation. There was nothing else done. He wasn't like he didn't like stick around the house. He wasn't like knocking on doors and windows. That I know of. <laughs> that I know of. Um, but like, I just I I was I had been home for some time, and I think I had been like all the way downstairs like in the basement like watching tv and then walked back up to the main floor to uh i think to like and i had to cross the front door um in like the foyer or whatever to get to my bedroom and i saw something on the window there was like the, the side lights and there was something sticking to the thing and there was a post-it and i was like what what is this and it was real vague and i was like okay and i and, and that could have been like a note left by anybody mm-hmm. and then i got inside to my bedroom and there was a post-it on the outside. I mean, both of them are on the outside of the window, right? Another post-it on the outside of the window. And that's when I realized, I was like, wait, why is there another? Po-? And so I opened my window and I think I like had to take down the screen or something. Cause I was like, I'm not going outside. Right. And so I like tried to like fashion a way of like getting to this post-it without having to leave my room. And then that's when I read the thing that was like, the Baron was here. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> yeah, that's creepy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Baron. Right? The yeah. Baron is here. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and, and, and for whatever reason, didn't immediately put it together, and I was like, what is, this is not funny. What is going on? Who is this? Like, I, All right. I don't know. And I don't, and I, I mean, Charles never even, like, crossed my mind either. Right. I was like, mm. Yeah. Right. Well, I think, I, I, like, I'm trying to think of, because that sounds like such an intimidating name. And I, I recently saw the, the Dune, (laughs) the Baron, if, if somebody was like the Baron, no, that's like the name of a frozen pizza. That's not a scary name. And then, then, I mean, come to find out, right. He, he names it because he drives a Chrysler. Chrysler. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I like that. (laughs) I don't, I can see that as like the name of a serial killer or something like the Baron strikes again, you know, but it's, it's, I saw Dune in theaters recently and it's like Stellan Skarsgård his character, I think, is the Baron, right? <laughs> oh, well, then there you go. It, it wasn't a scars guard that was that was leaving me post-its. Mm. That would have been a different, much better, very different outcome, I think. Right? Any of the scars guards? Any of the scars right. guards, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, right now. 
And I would have been easy prey because they're all like six five and taller. Right. I mean, yes. you're historically very short. What's that? You're historically, you're very short. Yeah. Are you short? Are you short now, Nicole? Or are you in a tall phase at the moment? <laughs> I'd like to think I'm in a tall phase. <laughs> One time, Corey, in high school, I was I would I would every now and then pretend that I forgot my asthma inhaler. Uh-huh. And so I could go home and go get it. And so this one time I, I did that and like they even call your mom when you, when you, that's like the perfect way to get out of high school right. like if you have asthma. Because they'll, they'll call your mom and then your mom will be like, yeah, he needs to go get his inhaler. Right. So then you get to leave like it's all legit. And Nicole was in the office like really sick. Like you had like 2000, like whatever version of COVID was around in 2000. You had that. COVID-99. <laughs> you had COVID because that's, that's how they decided. Yeah. Um, and, and so I was like, I'll take you home. And I don't know, because it was early, it was before the internet, probably. So they let people do that. And like, so I got to take you home and you curled up like a cat in my, in my truck, like in like this passenger seat, no seatbelt. So you, like you, I remember you, you fit and you curled up in it. I was small enough that I could. And, and so I started driving and. And as you leave, like, the back entrance of the high school, you go down a hill near that, what is like, a village pantry or whatever. Okay, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, I can't believe I remember this. No, I do know why I remember this, because what's happening, what's going to happen next is insane, Corey. <laughs> like, I go over this, I'm, I'm like, I'm going kind of fast, I go over this bump, <laughs> and then, like, the, like, Cat Nicole just, like, poof, like, <laughs> levitates. You know, like, 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 you see those, like, movies, like, the elevator goes down really fast and you flip a coin? Right. It was like, Nicole, like, levitated in that, like, <laughs> Cinnabon shape, and she's yeah. flipping in the air. <laughs> I'm like, I don't. Like, think I, I know all about science now. Like, I don't think I like broke formation. I just like my entire body like coiled up like I was just all, like completely lifted on impact of like over the bump or whatever, and then like yeah, I mean I came crashing down not so pleasantly, but like as I was you know rising in the air, unbroken. It was insane. It was nuts. That's wild. Everything, nothing broken. Everything was good. Everything's fine. Oh, my God. I'm going to go get my second vape. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, to his point, though, historically, very short. Very short, I am yes. Very yes. Small. I'm a small human being. Nice. <laughs> well, and so, to, so to get back to, uh, to Drew Barrymore and the opening of this movie, what a great fucking opening to this movie, though. I mean, and, and to kill Drew Barrymore right off the bat, because she's, I mean, arguably, or no, maybe not even, like, definitely, objectively, probably the biggest star in the movie at the time. Yeah. Well, you know. for sure, and I think, I mean, she's, it's it's good to sort of start with her for a lot of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, uh, you know, meta-theatrically, all of this, because she actually does start the film, and also she was sort of the reason why Wes Craven even ended up directing it. Yeah. I mean, just her attachment to the film alone uh, is sort of what prompted Wes Craven to be like, you know what? All right, I'll do this. I'm going to do this movie because someone like Drew Barrymore is interested. That's amazing. And and I don't think I mean, I I, I knew that I knew of her popularity and certainly the the name of it all. Um, But don't even think I realized just how bankable and how much clout she had in that regard that mm-hmm. like a director would 
sort of drop everything else and be like, you know what? I'm going to do this because of Drew Barrymore. Yeah. So you know, props to her. And then sort of as a precursor to like what we see now of her sort of more producerial mind, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and as a, as a marketer, um, she, she made the, she made the executive decision to be like, I have too many other things going on. Tell you what, because I think she was she was attached and signed on to do Sydney. I believe the, so. The yeah. Campbell role, right? Mm-hmm. And then she was like, you know what? I want to play the the Casey Becker part. And I think Wes Craven had already signed on at that point. And was a little nervous about that because naturally, you know, as it as it followed, she was the biggest movie star in the movie, and it was right. like, wow, we're gonna we're gonna kill you. But 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 Casey dies right. <laughs> in like the first seventeen minutes. Right, and that fell right into their lap. Just how they wished in the beginning it would have happened. They were like, "This would be cool if like a super like a superstar was the first person to die." Like they thought that they actually had had, had considered that, and then so when that situation happened, like it was like perfect. Yeah. Well, sure, and then of course it's sort of and it, it, yeah, it, it it becomes wonderfully kismet in terms of selling, I mean, Wes Craven needn't try to make the movie um, kind of nail-biting from that point on because you do, you kill somebody that big that quickly. And now it's yeah. it's just implied for the rest of the you know next hour and a half that you're like, okay, anybody could die right. <laughs> at any point now because you've killed off arguably the most famous person in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Before the title card even shows up. Right. (laughs) Well, and I guess, and and because I remember seeing it before, you know, years ago, and I remember the scene where she gets stabbed being pretty, like, uh, intense, you know? Yeah. But but I watched it again this time, and it's not graphic, it's not super bloody, and I couldn't tell why it was so intense, so then after I watched the movie, I was reading about it, and it turns out, I guess, like, the MPAA felt the same way. And they had a hard time getting an R rating, and and they and they told Wes Craven the same thing. They were like, "Well, it's not too bloody, it's not too gory, it's just uh, too intense, it's too much." And I guess, and I guess he lied to them and was like, "Look, that's the only take we have. That it's I, I can't do it, I can't cut it." And they were like, "Okay, fine, fine, you can leave it in, get, take the R yeah, rating." Yeah, something like they they, and I don't know enough about film, but so you submit it to the 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 film company, the, the network or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's the, the motion picture administration of America or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they, they submitted the film like a total of like nine times, I think. Right. Uh, yeah. with, I mean, and just kept having to like edit more and more out because every time they submitted it, the, the ratings folk were like, Nope. Right. Nope. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, the whole, it's the South park. It's the South park strategy, which I'm, I don't know. I call it that, but it's obviously been around for much longer. But it's like you want something here, so what you tell the tell the censors is you show them this, which is, by the way, if you're just listening at home, I got a, a one hand a little lower than another, right? You, you, you show them something really freaking crazy. The second hand is much higher. Say, yeah, 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 that's too crazy, and then they'll meet you right where you want it. To be. Right. Yeah. I think that's what they did. Like yeah, like any negotiation, you want to start high. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then hopefully they'll finally bring it back down to where you wanted it in the first place. Right. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was really interesting. I think like the big, like kind of crazy hit it, to me was like, after she's 
been stabbed and he's dragging her body. The parents are on the phone with her. Yeah. And they can like kind of hear her being dragged in the grass. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, whoa. And then they go outside. And of course, like within a matter of seconds, they've like strung her up somehow. Yeah. Like out there, but <laughs> yeah, quickly, quickly strung her up. But apparently, I, I read and I didn't pick up on this, but because like every line and every shot in this movie almost is like an homage to another movie, right? Yeah. And I, and I I don't recall this, but I guess there's a scene in Halloween too where Jamie Lee Curtis she's been choked or something, and she can see people, and she's trying to cry out, and it's the same thing where she's like, help, help, but she just can't like yeah. yell loud enough. So, and That's I right, love... because Barrymore sees her parents, right? And she's yeah. like, and they're like right nearby, like talking about the party that they were at. Yeah, yeah they just pulled into the driveway and like they're walking up like the path to the front door and she's just been stabbed um, sort of like sternum area where like conveniently yeah. it's like sort of wrecked her. Lo- I mean, collapsed the lung or something. Her lungs, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so she can't quite like yell out to them and you know yeah Yeah. well and that's and this movie and all the references and the meta you know and i think it's interesting because for you don't typically know excuse me like directors like actors obviously everybody knows the actors the directors get a lot of acclaim but you don't always know the writers like writers don't always get a lot of but for whatever reason and i remember this at the time this writer kevin williamson like he wrote he wrote this movie and then scream 2 came out the next year and then uh, so did I Know What You Did Last Summer, and then The Faculty, which was directed by Robert Rodriguez. And like, and I remember knowing this guy's name at the time, which is rare to know a writer's name. And then, so I think it was kind of like, it was such a good script, it was such a good idea, and I think it fit perfectly with Wes Craven because I think, well, and they took it to other directors who Williamson felt they didn't really quite understand it. Um, right. But a few years ago, before I'm sorry, a few years before this movie came out, what could be considered like one of not probably not the first, but one of the first like meta commentary horror movies was Wes Craven's new nightmare. Right. Which I want to cover on the show. We need to, re- I haven't seen it in probably 20 years, but it takes place. It's all of the actors from the first nightmare on Elm street movie. They, they, they come back and they play themselves making a nightmare on Elm street movie and Freddy like com- somehow comes out of the movie world and into the real world, and it's like a meta commentary on horror movie. It's like the same kind of thing, but from what I've read, it's been a long time. I don't really remember it. It's been too long since I saw it, but it wasn't quite as effective. Maybe the the meta like comedy aspect was there, but maybe not the horror. You know, because yeah. because Scream has that like meta. It's obviously a black comedy, but it's also very much a slasher film as well. Like it's both in equal measure. You know. Yeah. It, it legitimately hit both sides or every side that it was trying to hit. Yeah. Um, in being, yeah, I mean, it struck a, a really perfect balance at, at somehow being able to be like a parody and, and also a commentary and, and then legitimately its own truly scary mm-hmm. uh, horror movie. Yeah. While still making fun of and commenting on the horror genre, which I think is probably why it's it's endured Mm -hmm. um some questionable sequels within the franchise notwithstanding right (laughs) um uh but but the bones are still there and those are good and and it's certainly i think why it's 
one of my favorites, you know, mm-hmm. because the the horror genre as a as a whole is not my gig usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do legitimately like Scream, and um, and I was legitimately scared. Yeah, uh, and I saw it in the theater. I mean, and there are honest to goodness jump scares in the movie, and I was definitely one of those people sitting in the theater screaming when. <laughs> pieces and bodies and hands popped up and you know, I mean I was just yeah I mean yeah screaming along with everybody else in the movie theater yeah yeah the, the um it's interesting because like the three of us were, have always kind of been starting in high school like in the same friend circle and like movies I think we all like in our friend circle loved I mean like really loved movies what's interesting is that this is a movie about a group of friends who only like horror movies, basically. Like, <laughs> right. I've seen never caught before until, like, every, it's, it seemed like their whole town, everyone is just, like, all about horror movies, you know? <laughs> yeah. And whereas, like, our friend circle is more like, we just like, we like movies. You yeah. know? Yeah. Watch a couple movies, take some notes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like Lillard says, yeah, and then suddenly they're, like, also cloning cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what movie did you watch to learn that information? <laughs> well, and I, and I like that cell phones were so just, I, I get like high schoolers didn't have like back in 96, not many people had a cell phone. So what, one kind of weird part to the movie of the movie to me is when she like, she gets attacked in her house and then like Skeet Ulrich climbs through the window and she's like, oh, thank you. Thank God you're here, whatever. And then a phone falls out of his pocket and it's like, oh. <gasps> He has a phone. <laughs> and, and to your point, actually, to, to your very point, in fact, when they go to the uh, the sheriff's office, um, the or the police station, that's the phrase, right. the, whole, yeah. the police station, sheriff's office, <laughs> um, and they're questioning Billy and his dad's there, mm-hmm. and the sheriff asks him, like, what were you doing with the cell phone? And Billy's answer is, point blank, everybody's got them, right. sheriff. Yeah. And I was like, 96 do they yeah I know. Right. like weird weird maybe sleazy lawyers like your father might right but high school kids right yeah i don't know like, could yeah. that have been a geographic thing like or, or maybe an elitist thing like that's like the writer was noticing area. that and like potentially yeah. sure i love yeah. i love all the police the police people in the movie yeah like when the sheriff guy he goes and he takes a cigarette break, and he like kind of catches Dewey with like with like the ice cream cone, right? <laughs> and I read to notice, I read that you should notice that in, in, in any time like the sheriff takes a, a like a like a drag off a cigarette, Dewey licks his ice cream cone, like right. so that's his part, that's his cigarette. And I think I think that was sort of a nice subtle way of reminding us, or or at least um, trying to throw us off the scent of 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 Dewey's uh, culpability, right. you know, because at that point in the film, they're, they're start a, they're starting to like uh, spread out um, their suspect list. Right. Cause that whole conversation he has with the sheriff is like, it could potentially now be the dad. And they have a really good reason to maybe think that it, it is yeah. given what Dewey tells the sheriff. And so you have this now, now the suspicion could be thrown on Dewey, but I love the idea that like the sheriff, who's a real man and a real cop is smoking and Dewey who we've now had all these jokes and references about how he's very young looking. He's right. been emasculated by his sister. He's like, when I, when I wear this, what, he's like, what did mom tell you? When I wear this badge, you treat me like a man of the law. Right. I love it. Sorry, 
what did she say? I'm sorry, Dewey, Dewey Deputy Boy. What did she call yeah, him? Yeah, something, something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so the idea, right, that like, like, like a child or a very juvenile thing is that he's, you know, licking an ice cream cone, mm-hmm. and then the sheriff, who's a real cop and a real man, is smoking a cigarette. Um, yeah. And then, of course, they have that wonderful sort of uh, red herring shot of showing the sheriff putting out his cigarette and then, uh, you know, extinguishing it with his boot, which looks suspiciously like the boot that came off these ghosts. Right. Yeah. The, the ghost face. Ubiquitous ghost face. Right. Always wears. So you're like, Oh wait, what? (laughs) Well, and and I like that. And there are at least a couple times in this movie where especially Randy is like, you can pretty much take what he says. Well, not quite, but almost what he says as, gospel for this movie i like how they set him up as the expert on horror movies and if you listen to randy like he tells you early on in the movie it's definitely skeet ulrich it is not the dad the dad is just a red herring and then the next scene cuts to dewey and the sheriff like oh we think maybe it's the dad and it's like no look at jamie kennedy just told you that it was not the dad you know right and and can i share with you my favorite moment in the whole movie please yes because I didn't know who Jamie Kennedy was when I first saw this movie, okay. like at all. And then he, and the, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's he's alone in the house and he's watching the movie Halloween. Yeah. And he's just saying, and it's Jamie Lee Curtis on the screen. He's like, just turn around, Jamie. Just turn around, Jamie. That's what he's saying. Yeah. And then like you, then you kind of see the reflection of the, the screen guy behind him. It's right. Such a, such a clever joke because he wasn't famous. Right. Right. He's still like this yeah. is too good. We gotta. Well, and and that's and that's and that scene right there. That's another time where he's like. He's like, oh yeah, you've got to, he's laying out the rules of getting murdered. And he's like, and the big breasted girl always gets killed. Like he's laying out the, and then the next scene, they cut to Rose McGowan going into the garage with like the most like, very cold garage. Yes. Yeah. The, like the most erect nipples that have ever been in a movie. And and you're yeah. like, well, okay, well, she's gonna die, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> they have like Vienna sausages, the prosthetics. Right. I have to like, yeah. There, there's no way that there was obviously some kind of prosthetic or something going on there, you know. They had so many, they had so many beer bottles, and that I when I watched a little bit of the director's commentary, that's where like they had to. That's one of those scenes where they had to draw the line because they were like, this is becoming a little too too funny, and that's when like they, those beer bottles are getting thrown at them at mm-hmm. the, at, the, at the killer. And it's like, it almost was like something, a scene that would be in, I think they did it in the scary movie franchise as well, which that movie ruined Scream for me because it was like hard to like distinguish the two movies. Which was which, yeah. Because I had seen scary movie more more times, I think, than actual Scream. Well, and going back to like when when Kevin Williamson wrote this, like this movie was called Scary Movie for a long time and they didn't change the name to Scream until like pretty late in the process. Yeah. Well, and one word titles are always sort of a bit, you know, snappier. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think mean, so. Good, I guess. But I mean, I mean, case in point, Dune, right? Right, or, Dune, right. Well, and this, yeah, and, but, and, and when this. Lost. Right. <laughs> when this, when this movie comes out in January, it's going to come out right. I think it's like, uh, we're going to come out with our episode, sorry, our episode on Jaws and then our episode on Alien and then our episode on Scream is all going to come out. And this, and one of the things I liked about this movie is is how you can kind of feel the town being terrorized and the curfew and people shutting their doors and windows early. And it really reminded me of like kind of a similar vibe that you get with Jaws, where you really feel this like 
communal like this this com- whole community is being terrorized by this thing you know right yeah brit brit i'm curious were were you because spo- we've covered like freddy versus jason in an episode and we've talked about friday the 13th before and i've always been careful not to talk a lot about friday the 13th but then we watched this movie when they're playing the game and they talk about how he's, he's quizzing drew barrymore with trivia and he's like who's the killer in friday the 13th did you catch that? Were you spoiled on Friday the 13th after watching this movie, Brent? Oh, um, because I've not seen it yet. Right. So, so yeah, Jason, that's what I am. Jason! Yeah. Is, I, that, is, it, is Friday the 13th? Jason, I've seen that movie 10,000 goddamn times! <laughs> yeah, I, I was watching that scene and I was like, oh no, Friday the 13th is spoiled for Brent. I was like, no! <laughs> Okay, I'll probably forget. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm such, an, I'm such a, an idiot when it comes to watching movies. Like, those M. Night Shyamalan movies, like, I watch them, I just don't think that there's going to be a, a, a twist. Even though I've seen so many, I've seen every one of them. But I just, I watch it, I just don't think about it while I'm watching it. And then I'm like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> whoa. Whoa. Which I recently saw the movie Old, and that's pretty good. Oh, man. There's, I like the uh, the whole bit about Cotton Weary, and I like because when when Kevin Williamson wrote this movie, he also had an outline for Scream Two and Scream Three. He had like the whole he he thought it would be more marketable if he try, if he tried to sell it as a franchise, right? And so I think it's pretty cool they got Liev Schreiber in at, for this cameo, and then he does become a much bigger role in the later films. Um, yeah, and uh, but but like the whole thing about her mom being murdered. And then her maybe uh, putting an innocent man in jail. It's it, like, that's a brand new plot thread. Like maybe not quite an hour into the movie, but like 45 minutes into the movie, you're like, oh, this is an entirely new plot thread. Like we, we now have to deal with, you know? Yeah. And I mean, not, not that Leif Schreiber was, was like a super mega star, but I feel like he was a, he was a big enough actor that it was, it, it maybe felt a little like, surely they're not going to use him only in like the news footage right. that we see. Surely this Cotton character is going to come back into play in a, in a more major way. Right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and to the, the, the character of, of Gail Weathers mm-hmm. mentions how Sydney might be wrong about him enough that you think, is this dude going to escape? prison like is right. you know is, is this gonna go suspect? really off the rails in that way and yeah. like we're gonna find out that the person who really seems guilty billy mm-hmm. actually turns out to not be guilty i mean so you were i never had any sort of equilibrium watching this movie i was like i i genuinely don't know who the killer is <laughs> right well and it's such a great fake out at the end when when gail goes on a walk with dewey and you know jamie kennedy has given you these rules and he says, never say I'll be right back or you die. And then, and then Matthew Lillard is like, I'll be right back. Yeah. 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 But, so that's like, <laughs> that the, might be one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Oh, Matthew Lillard's great. Yeah. We'll get in. We'll, we'll, I want to talk about him just in general in a minute, but, and then, but then it cuts to Gail and it's not as obvious, but when she leaves the news van, you know, Dewey's like, do you want to go on a walk? And she's like, yeah, let's go on this walk. And she's like, I'll be right back. And she leaves. And it's not, it's a little more subtle um, but then, like, David Arquette is, like, shining the flashlight on his face, and he's like, and you're like, it it strongly hints at that moment, you're like, oh, shit, Dewey's the killer. Right. Oh, God, it is Dewey. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because he's suddenly not, like, very childish at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because he suddenly has these moments where he's, like, he doesn't seem as incompetent anymore. Or childish. Right. Yeah. Said, yeah, totally. And it's, like, People oh. all, around, all around town have never taken me seriously, kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Like, she's, like, out, too. <laughs> it's weird because, like, I thought she was, like, leading him on. But, like, I think she starts to really like him. <laughs> no, oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think she is leading him on. Yeah. Right. Up to a point. And then I think there is sort of that that kind of shift where she's like oh actually yeah I, I, Gail Withers. I sound like a like a weather person <laughs> well, yeah. and, well that's right it's yeah it's, it's like moments before they find what turns out to be uh, neil prescott's car, car. yeah yeah right oh yeah. and here's a fun uh anecdote um uh lawrence hecht or larry hecht okay. uh who plays uh sydney's father neil prescott I had the wonderful honor of working with him uh, at Colorado Shakespeare Festival. Um, oh, cool. He was Puck really? um, in, um, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was the first fairy. And so I had a lot of interaction naturally with Larry and uh, came to know him very well and just absolutely adored him and <laughs> had obviously had seen Scream, obviously, right. many times by this point, by the time I was introduced to Larry and started to work with him. Um and somebody, I think, like jokingly, at the end of like the first read through, was like, you know, have him tell you about Scream. And I, of course, <laughs> turned him and I was like, wait, what? And then it was all sort of revealed. Larry didn't want to talk about it. And he was like, oh, just go watch the movie for yourself. Right. And, and I did. And of course, I came back and I was like, you didn't tell me you were the father in Scream. Um, right. And uh, but yeah. Anyway, so it's it's sort of trippy, right? Like to have this person that I that I know and have worked with personally. Yeah. Uh, to see him on the screen and it's just it's really cool that's awesome so anyway, and, 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 and i'm gonna out of watching him again yeah am i misremembering or did you play puck at one point i i did play puck okay uh at uh at iu okay um uh, however many years ago now but um yeah and then i i got a gig out at uh, colorado shakespeare festival and um the a few years after i think i played puck um and then uh, and it's a whole season of shows. And so, you know, you're all in these multiple roles. And so I was a witch uh, in Macbeth and then also the first fairy in um, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Nice. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And I loved the choice to make someone like Larry Puck because uh, Larry was older at the time. And so he became sort of like a teamster fairy, you know, like the, one, like the, the, the fairy that like Oberon, the king can't get rid of. He can't fire him. Right. He's been around longer than he has kind of thing. He's like, and I've got tenure. Exactly. Right. And so it was wonderful because I sort of was able to take my own genuine reaction to Larry and turn it into my performance, which was very much like a starstruck young fairy right. that comes across Puck and is like, oh my God, I know who you are. <laughs> and so that's, that's, yeah, it was great. Our own dynamic became what we showed everyone on stage. So nice. it was a lot. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that, I, I, that, that kind of reminds me of the guy who did the scream voice, the, the ghost face voice, because they did the same thing uh, where they didn't let him like come you on were in set. A play with him. What's that? You I was in a play with him. him. Yeah, no. No, like they wouldn't let him come on set or talk to anybody, so they That's only right. they only heard his voice. You know, where it's oh, like right. so, wouldn't, so they couldn't get like familiar or comfortable. Yeah, with with Roger L. Jackson was the name, and so I thought that was an interesting way to go about it, and just something interesting I read about him. Apparently, he also does the voice of Mojo Jojo in the Powerpuff Girls cartoon 
for for anyone who may be familiar with that, I have to go back. It's this like little. I like the name. It's a villain. It's this little monkey, and I haven't. I've just seen clips years ago, but it's like I have Mojo Jojo. So you can what hear. I think is crazy about this guy, though, is that there were, and I don't know if this was on purpose or if it's if it's this if it's uh, this Jackson guy's like actual tone, mm-hmm. but there were times, and I'm sure this was intentional, where he sounded like it could have been Skeet Ulrich on the phone. Right. Yeah. Like, once Billy's name is sort of dropped into, like, the running uh, as a possible suspect, I I remember going back and trying to, like, listen to the voice on the phone um, and and thinking that I'm like, oh, there are times where it sounds like it could be, I mean, modulated, obviously, and whatever, but, but it could be Skeet Ulrich talking right. to someone on the phone. And I was like, that's <laughs> trippy and weird and cool, and I don't know if they meant to do that or not. I don't know. Right. When I, I, at one point, I don't know, it was probably Craven, but at one point when Skeet Ulrich was cast and kind of the look they went for uh, was reminiscent of Johnny Depp in the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which was, of course, yeah. directed by Craven. And and I love the line in this movie where I think it's Drew Barrymore mentions Nightmare on Elm Street, or maybe it's later, someone mentions it, and everyone was like, someone's right. like, yeah. It's, the f- it's one of those phone calls. It's either Nev Campbell or Drew Barrymore. I'm trying to think of it too. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, but she's like, she was like, oh, the first one was good, but the rest of them were shit. Which is, which is Craven commenting on his own franchise that he helped kick off, you know. Right. <laughs> I think that's also sort of what's in, endurable and endearing about this particular film and the franchise as a whole, but particularly the original, is that Wes Craven seems to have no qualms mm-hmm. about ragging on his own movies or, or the genre that is his cash cow. Right, yeah. Like what? he's 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 all in it. He's like, let's do it. Let's make fun of it. Let's let's talk about why it's not successful, why it didn't work, why it's stupid, why people, you know, have a problem with this movie versus this one, whatever. Right. When it's, I appreciate and, that self awareness. Oh, absolutely. Well, and there's another line in here where Rose McGowan's character Tatum, she's talking about. She's like, oh yeah, it's like something out of a Wes Carpenter movie, but like c- combining Wes Craven's name with John Carpenter, which one. Like, if anybody else did that, you'd be like, well, it's kind of bold of you to, like, put yourself up. But, like, top-tier horror slasher directors at that time, who else is there? It's, like, it's yeah. Wes Craven and John Carpenter. Like, those are the guys, you know? Yeah, right? I mean, and yeah, I mean, Wes Craven can sort of get away with, you know, keeping keeping that bit in there, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I love it. And then, and then obviously, he pl- I didn't realize this until I was reading about it afterwards, but he plays the janitor, Fred who's dressed up in the Freddy Krueger clothes. Yeah. <laughs> That's Wes, or oh, did I say Wes Anderson? Wes Craven. <laughs> <laughs> Not Wes Me Anderson. And, who, <laughs> and then the movie, for some reason, everything gets very symmetrical in the movie and like very, you know, like, like very patterned. We got, we've got a, we've got one long Bowie knife. We've got, <laughs> we've got one clone cell phone. <laughs> one, one very generic looking Halloween costume. Yeah. I think we can pull this off. <laughs> I mean, and for anybody, I think, I know Brent, I think you've seen it, but anybody who hasn't seen the Saturday Night Live sketch, uh, so the Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders, have you seen that, Nicole? No. I'll, it, I'll send you the link. It's yeah, great. It's so good. It's one of the best sketches. I, and it's it's Edward Norton starring in it as Owen Wilson. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's Wes Anderson doing. It's one of the lines he says. Yeah, it's so good. It's so funny. Oh, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, what else? But then they bring up the Richard Gear gerbil story, which wasn't something I remembered. But I was like, oh. I remembered it, so I was I was definitely cringing. Yeah. As I as I, you know, as Rose McGowan saying the line. Right. Where I'm like, oh. well, there's like that, and then they bring up uh, they mention Sharon Stone a couple times, and then. Uh, oh, and then they like they rag on Tori Spelling. She's like Nev Campbell's like, oh, knowing my luck, Tori Spelling will probably play me. Which the funny thing is, Brent, I don't know if you've seen the sequels or if you remember the sequels. I knew there was probably something that but, did that. But they Go end ahead. up uh, the sequel is like they're making a movie about what happened in this movie called Stab, and and the person who's playing Sydney Nev Campbell's character ends up being Tori Spelling, which is pretty funny. What sequels that? Scream 2. It's just the second oh, they went right ahead. Yeah. 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 Came, um, came so up the next year. We're kind of talking about like, other movies with it. Um, I, I definitely think we should mention The the Craft a bit. Mm-hmm. Same year, 96, got Nev Campbell and, and Skeeter. Skeeter Rich, yeah. Skeet. Skeet. Um, I looked it up, and they it was funny because Scream obviously made a ton more money. Mm-hmm. Like the two like timelines of money is like The Craft. Okay, let me start over. They both started with $50 million budgets. Like, mm-hmm. they had the exact same budgets were six, six and a half months apart. Like, Scream was was winter, and The Craft was summer, I think. Okay. And so, like, very quickly, man, these, like, diverged in, like, how much money they made over their, their showing period. Uh, it's astronomical what Scream made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, but it was, it was just so cool that, like, I don't know – there was like some talk about like Nev Campbell not wanting to do Scream so much because she, I don't know. There's like, there was some stuff there where like her PR people, her handlers. Yeah. Well, I think like, she, she wouldn't get pigeonholed as a, as a horror, right. as a Scream queen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But no, I think it worked out. I'm glad, I'm glad she did it. She was great in the role. I almost watched the craft, but then I was like, that's just like too much mid nineties for one <laughs> week. Seriously. Wait, no, you, you almost watched it not for the first time. Oh, no, I've seen it before. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, of course, I've, it's been a long time, though. <laughs> they play, like, light as a feather, stiff as a board. I like that, like, I, I actually like, watched like, before I did the, I did Nancy Downs, the portrait of Nancy Downs, mm-hmm. a couple years ago for the, the Halloween makeup, and I, I remember, I watched a couple clips again, because I had still images but I, I was like, I, I want to sort of see Peru's a bulk in action again to sort of understand what I'm, how I'm supposed to like perform in front of the, the camera to get a good shot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was just, there's some really hard acting in, in the craft. Yeah. I, I loved the craft and I'm sure. Yeah. We I are went, the weirdos, mister. Yeah, I went through that whole phase, I'm sure, where I, showed up to school all in like black and lace and like (laughs) thinking I was like Stevie Nicks or something. I'm sure. But didn't we all who didn't though? Really? I mean, I mean, you're going (laughs) to emulate anyone. Right. Yeah. The tambourine got a little annoying. That got me sent to the office a couple of (laughs) times. Whatever. It was like around that same time, uh, uh, like Feroz, Feroz bulk. I'm, don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she seemed it seemed like she was in a lot of stuff like right around that. And a lot of these actors were in like the mid to late 90s, were kind of like in all the movies. Um, yeah, yeah, like Scream in the Craft. If you switch the cast, 
it's like you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, well, right. it, but it definitely it, it was sort of our generation's Rat Pack in a yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Brat, brat Pack. Brat, me, yeah. Brat pack. You know, the, the same the same kind of cluster of folk that did all the John Hughes films of the '80s. We sort of our generation sort of had had that as well. You know. Yeah. And a sure. lot of them were in these two movies. So yeah, there you go. or I know what you did last summer. That really had like you know. Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. Prince Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who he he almost got the role for um, uh, Billy or Billy, one of them or Stu. Yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. Like went out for one of these roles. Um, oh. So it was. Yeah, and then um, I think it was Breck and Meyer almost got Randy over. That's right. And there was someone else too who was in the running. Oh, 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 Jason Lee. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was also oh. in the running for Randy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Jay yeah, I saw um, in, the, in the living room scene at the end, there was a Clerks VHS. I saw that, yeah. Did you mention that the other night? You mentioned a movie the other night, Corey, that had like a Clerks VHS in it. Um, I know. You know what... you're, like, you're like, oh, yeah, this movie, there was like a. No, oh, I know what it was. Stan Lee. It was a movie that Stan Lee was in, and he was holding a Clerks. Oh, DVD that's. Oh, that's. That, no, that's when we were talking in our episode where we were talking with Jeremy London. He, yeah. he he brought up in in Captain Marvel with Brie Larson, which takes place in the '90s. Stan Lee's cameo is him playing himself reading the script for Mallrats. <laughs> oh, it was oh, okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. I got my okay. So but, when did Clerks come out then? Cause I'm just curious because they were definitely they were showing it as though like this is something a teenager would definitely have in the living room. Oh, it came out just a couple years before. It was early. It was like '92, '93, and then. Okay. And then, well, and then Mallrats and Scream, well, Mallrats would have come out, I think, right after, like, 94, 95, and then Scream came out in 96, so it was a, it was a few years before Scream, but not much before, um, not long before Scream. But yeah, what else? Let's... Well, I did, let's... Hear, I did hear that the, um, the whole, the, the whole party at the end, near the end, right? Mm-hmm. That, that took, like, something like 23 days to film. Yeah, because like, it's like half the it was, movie. It's what, like, it four, is like half, 45 it's like minutes 40 of the movie. Minutes, yeah. 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 I think when I was watching it again, I forgot, actually. I, I remember I stopped right around, like, right right after Tatum gets crushed by the garage door. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then sort of came back and finished the rest of it and was sort of stunned because I thought I had much more of the movie left. Right. Um. And I didn't. Right. <laughs> sort of like right after Rose McGowan gets it, it it, it really is sort of like that's it. It, ex- it accelerates, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then it's it's just twenty some minutes of them. I mean, twenty minutes of a forty minute sequence alone is just Stu and Billy stabbing each other in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. And hitting each other with the phone. Right. And and monologuing and doing all, I mean, I mean, every, every cliche that the villain's not supposed to do, right. turning yeah. their back on their cap, you know, on, on, on the captured girlfriend that they're trying to attack. Right. And all of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, all of it. It's great. <laughs> well, and that, and that, man, and that's something that stuck with me. Cause like I said, I, I really, I love this movie when it came out, you know, it's, it's a lot of this movie was not new to me. I remembered all of it. But especially Matthew Lillard, like as he's laying there bleeding out, just like when he gets hit with the phone and he's like, you hit me with the phone, you dick. <laughs> and then like, but especially the line where he's like, 
He's like, Sydney, did you really call the cops? And he's like, oh, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Like, that line fucking killed me. I love it. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, I, I got to say, I, I, when I started rewatching, I, I sort of made the note to myself about how I was like, gosh, this might be one of uh, Drew Barrymore's best roles. And then as more actors appeared in the film and I just kept watching further and further. I kept making the comment where I was like, actually, they're really good in this too. Yeah. Like this might be some of their best work too. Yeah. Courtney Cox might be some of her best work. And I was like, I love Matthew Lillard in this. And then I was like, wait a minute, every, everybody's really sort of firing on all cylinders here. And everyone just understood the tone. Yeah. No one sort of sticks out in a weird way where it's like, I don't understand what they're, what they're playing right now. Like I, I get everybody. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, well, and- even Henry Winkler. Yeah, who's great, yeah. Who can do no wrong anyway? No, he's great. No. <laughs> well, and, Let's and, tread lightly here on our commentary, <laughs> fellas. Well, and, and, no, like, and not only did they all do a great job, and but they brought so much to the role. Like, for instance, I think Dewey's character was supposed to be more of like a meathead, you know, handsome kind of cop. And David Ar- Arquette came in. Oh, that's right, because he was supposed to audition for billy as well i think or one of the other roles and he was like i want to play dewey and he did him as this like sweet sincere like earnest dude and they were like oh uh okay yeah wait a minute let's try that and so like i think that's all david arquette like creating that character very much just sort of bringing already what he possesses to the role rather than like trying to like fit him into like what they thought the character was supposed to be. I love what he did with Dewey. And I think it's it's also sort of a nice balance because even, even sort of in, in Matt Lillard's spastic way, he is still one of the cool guys. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes without saying that Skeet Ulrich is supposed to be like the poster child for like the cool bad boy. Right. And then just in terms of the paradigm and you already, so, and then, Randy sort of by proxy is is a big, you know, horror nerd, sure, but he's friends with the cool guys. Right. And so to have Dewey sort of be a dork right. and then add on top of that the dork is technically an authority figure, there's all sorts of really wonderful things happening. Yeah. Well, making Dewey that. Yeah, well, and, and it's a good balance because he... Like, there's a lot of comedy in this movie, and everybody, I think, for the most part, gets a moment to be funny or have a funny moment. But, like, you know, especially at least the, you know, the men in this movie, like, Skeet Ulrich is uh, kind of intimidating. The whole time you're like, yeah, I could see him as a killer. And then even even Matthew Lillard, who, like, has some, he plays a comedic role, but he plays it with this, like, uh, spastic energy that's like it's almost menacing as well like it's it's almost yeah. intimidating too because you're like you're like yeah th- this guy's the kind of guy who like would hurt you wear a Hugh Hefner like bathrobe where <laughs> yeah but he would he would like he would, he would push you down the stairs and you would break your leg and be seriously injured and he would like laugh at you and think it was a joke you know so even that character like He's kind of comic relief, but he's also menacing at the same time, you know. Totally, like right at the top of the film when they when they when they cut to like the the next day at school or whatever, and he's talking about like they were gutted, and and just sort of the pace at which he talks about how you would gut somebody, <laughs> right? Um, and and then his his whole interaction with Randy at the video store is completely like, even amidst his like sort of 
uh, him pulling faces and making like ridiculous sounds and whatever, mocking Randy at the idea of that Sydney would want anything to do with him or whatever. He is super menacing when he starts kind of when he does pull back and like settle down and ask Randy, like, who do you think it is? Right. Why would it be Billy? Why, you know, and all of this stuff. And suddenly there's, there's just that tiny little bit of menace, I think is the perfect word. Yeah. Cause you're like, Oh, Oh, that's, that's not as funny. <laughs> well, and he, yeah, he's like, he's like the, the Joker bully, you know? Cause like in that same scene, then Skeet Ulrich comes up. He's like, what are you saying about me? And Matthew Lillard like gets on Jamie Kennedy's back. And, uh, and yeah, it's like being goofy and clownish, but also in kind of a scary way, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys think it was weird that there was like the curfew, but yet they had the huge party mm-hmm. that the cops, I guess were like cool with because they were kind of like chaperoning it a little bit. <laughs> and then like the nine o'clock hour stop or comes or starts and like half the party leaves. Right. If the, did I get that wrong? No, you're no. They leave because they find out that they get what Jamie Kennedy gets that phone call or the, or a phone call. Somebody calls Stu's house. About Jamie principal. Kennedy answers and he's like, "Oh my God, they killed the principal." And I feel like come, before that though, there was on, on the football yeah. field or whatever. Yeah. And then all these like really awful teenagers, drunken teenagers, are like, "Dude, let's go look before they take him down." Yeah, and then they all leave the party. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's, and I guess, uh, I read that they, the producers or whatever noticed that there was like more than a half an hour in the script, more than 30 pages where there was no murder. And they were like, look, this is a slasher movie. Somebody's got to get killed. And that's when they put in the the murder of the principal, which solved a problem for Kevin Williamson because he couldn't figure out how to get all of these extra characters out of the party. And so that like served a dual purpose of like, oh good, we can get a murder a murder in here and get all of these kids out of the house. But but Brent, I know exactly what you're saying because there is a point where Nev Campbell and a bunch of other kids are leaving, and she's like, "Where's Tatum? Has anyone seen Tatum?" And then that's when Skeet Ulrich shows up, and he's like, "Oh, why don't you go?" So no, I had the same thing because I thought the part I thought the party ended like three different times. And then I was like, Oh yeah. no, there are still kids here, like watching movies yeah. and stuff. There were like waves the kids of kids. The parents. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And, uh, another thing I read was that I guess when Billy was getting stabbed by the umbrella, when Nev Campbell comes out and she's wearing the ghost face suit. I don't oh, know if you guys man, read that what's that. Ghost face kill us. More Wu-Tang ghost face kill it. Yeah. When she's wearing the ghost Nicole is shaking her head. She's not I'm interested. Just, I'm giving you my displeased Kermit face. Just... <laughs> so, um, when he's... Yeah, displeased Kermit face. <laughs> I guess uh-huh. Skeet Ulrich was wearing a vest, and the stunt woman who was stabbing him with the umbrella, it had a retractable tip. So the first time she stabbed him, it hit him in the vest, and it was fine. But then I guess the second time it hit him, it missed the vest, and stabbed him in a spot where he had had open heart surgery as a kid. And it, it was a weak part of his chest that had like a wire mesh beneath it. And apparently it was intense pain the second time he gets stabbed. And that's the shot you see in the movie is him actually getting stabbed in his open heart surgery spot with this umbrella. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That was great. Like, 
Nev Campbell's like taking on the persona of the killer. Yeah, just turning you know? it on him. Yeah. I love it when that when movies like that happen near the end, like that that, that, that last act. Um, uh, twenty eight days later, it kind of happens too, right? When do you remember that movie, the zombie movie? Yeah, with Cillian Murphy. Okay, so so like they're in like they're in the big mansion with like with the with the army soldiers and and um, there's a zombie I think loose in the mansion. And the soldiers are like running from place to place, and the lead character has like been out in the wilderness for a while, <laughs> and is like all muddy and gross, like the other zombies, and is like taking on this like zombie persona, it's much like Nev Campbell. And she looked very, very. No, she was very well kept for <laughs> for, a, a, for a murder, a little bloody, but just a little blood, just, just a just little blood that we still recognize her as Nev Campbell. Yeah. But. <laughs> But she still manages to murder. And I love, I was thinking about this movie taking place today and how she kills Matthew. You mean like in modern, like the, the now times? In the now times, yes. The 2021, 22 times by 10 people listen to this. Um, but how she she drops that TV on Matthew Lillard and he's like, no! And this giant TV smashes him in the head and electrocutes him. I was like, today that would just be like, a flat screen TV that weighs like three pounds. It would like, he would barely even notice. You hit me with the TV, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's sort of what's, what hopefully will be intriguing about Scream 5 mm-hmm. because oh, yeah, you'll yeah. have to sort of address how the world has changed technologically yeah. and the things that you could and couldn't get away with back then versus what you can get away with now how easy it might be to track someone you know calling you and also i read a bit of trivia about the original scream that i guess the um the use of caller id like skyrocketed after this after this movie, movie? Out. yeah because people were like oh hell no i'm gonna know <laughs> who is calling at all times and if i don't recognize the number i'm not picking up blah 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 <laughs> yeah all that stuff nice. right so well, so, like, how would the movie, let's say this exact situation happened, Lillard and Skeet, they do they do the same thing, but today, like, yeah. would they have well, all got away with it? Like, well, how well, far would they have gone? Well, I think, so I think, I remember the first Scream very well, even before I just rewatched it. I remember the second one pretty well, and then it kind of starts to bleed together with the third and the fourth. I know the second one was more a commentary on... Because the, the second one is all about them making a movie about the events of Scream 1. So then, I mean, and in this movie, you definitely had, you know, they sat- satirized the news media and its relation to atrocities and horror. I mean, Gail Weathers, like, she gets she gets so involved in making the news. She's not just a journalist. She's, like, actively participating that she's, like, one of the survivors at the end of this movie because the news like the event that it's reporting on and the news itself becomes so enmeshed that it's like the same thing at the end of the movie, you know? And then the second movie, it's, it's even more of a commentary on exploiting these tragedies and uh, atrocities because then they're making a movie out of the events that happened in scream one. And, and I wish I could remember the fourth movie better, but I know that it does touch on like, so, cause it was, I think it was made about 10 years ago or so the last scream. And it does touch on like social media and the age of the internet and stuff like that. So, but but they would they would have had Billy on on Drew Barrymore's ring door doorbell cam. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with the state of surveillance today. Like, 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do because you can't do you can't do anything anywhere without a camera picking you up somewhere. Like, right. you know, every business has a camera on it. Every house has a camera on it. Like, there, anything you do anywhere, a camera somewhere is going to pick you up. You know, no, it's true. I mean, there's 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 less a sense of anonymity nowadays than there certainly was in in '96, um, and yet, right, <laughs> people hide behind sort of the auspices of anonymity all the time um online online right yeah Yeah. in a way and and so it i mean i would imagine brent to answer your sort of your your uh question that i would imagine that the somewhere like if you were to take the plot of the original scream and try and put it in in today's world that it would, it would probably start as a a rather like hostile or aggressive exchange of words online where you couldn't see the person's face. And then it maybe jumps to, uh, to, to like a, a meeting face to face or some sort of like, um, hacking into like someone's like webcam or something. And like, they can like now look at the person through their own laptop kind of thing situation yeah. like you have to start yeah there yeah yeah wasn't there like a part where nib campbell like calls like 911 over the internet there, yeah over the internet yeah 96 yeah while and while the killer's dial, like at her door yeah 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 if you dial up trying to reach 911 right that would never there's no way you'd have enough time for that <laughs> yeah no way i know even if it worked like it still right. wouldn't matter right you have to wait <laughs> But no, I guess the guy, because Wes Craven, I think, has directed, he directed all four. He directed the first four, and oh, then okay. and then he passed away in 2015, I think. And so this one, this is directed by a couple guys, uh, Matt uh, Bettinelli and Tyler Gillette. I could be getting that wrong. But they were part of um, these, like, uh, I think they were are, like, online content creators that, like, they got known through YouTube. I guess they were in a group called Chad, Matt, and Rob, and then another group called Radio Silence. But recently, they've started directing movies. They did a, a segment for VHS, which was an anthology movie that came out a few years ago, a movie called Devil's Due in 2014, and then a movie that I haven't seen, but I've heard a lot about, good things about a movie called Ready or Not, that came out just a couple years ago. So now these are the guys that have been tasked to do Scream 5. So I'm interested to see. I'm not familiar with their work at all, but just kind of knowing their background and they're kind of new and different and they come from the internet in, in one way. Like, I'm, I'm interested to see their take on it and what they're going to do with it. Sure, so. yeah. They're going to sort of, like, um, tout their their moneymaker. <laughs> um, or, uh, right. or if they're going to um, sort of condemn it yeah. and, and use it sort of as, like, you know, this, this is the bad side right and of I, it and I think it have to be both I mean and that's that's the line that scream walked and another movie like probably the closest movie to me that reminds me of scream is uh, the cabin in the woods have you seen that yes absolutely yeah. but the, the what is uh, it's it's Joss Whedon and drew Goddard directed it drew Goddard yeah yeah Thank you. But that's yeah. right but it's uh but it, it does the same thing where it's like it's funny it's a satire of the horror genre and it's exactly referential and right. And, but it also manages to be an effective horror movie at the same time, you know? Well, and I 
think too, part of why I think it's so effective is that you have people who are very clearly fans of this genre. Mm -hmm. And so it, it helps when you have people who are knowledgeable and have a reverence for what they're making fun of. They can, they, they clearly studied it enough right. to be able to dig into those nuances. And I'm sure you watch something enough, no matter how much love or reverence you have for it, you can sort of start to pick it apart because yeah. you've watched it enough, you're familiar enough with it. Um, and these are questions that inevitably sort of arise <laughs> because it's it's been sort of, you know, like running around in your brain long enough now that you're like, you know what I've always wondered? Why didn't so and so run out of the house? Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, and and I think this is true for for what I I read for Wes Anderson. Like he was kind of done doing slashers. He was done with this kind of the violence that you see. Um, before he was pulled back in to do Scream, and it was the you same said Wes thing. Anderson, yeah. Did I say Wes Anderson? God damn it! Fucking yeah, Wes, Wes Craven, Anderson. son of a bitch. Why <laughs> directors need to have one name? You know, Wes Craven is the West. Anderson needs to find. He needs to be like Chet. He's, he's the East. He needs to be like Chet Anderson or something. <laughs> East Anderson, yeah. God damn it, Wes. So anyway, Wes Craven, uh, I know was like not looking to do any more slashers before this. He came across this, and then he revitalized the slasher genre because in the latter half of the '80s and the early '90s, it was all like direct to video, kind of poor quality. You really didn't have any great slashers you know, for the second half of the eighties and the early nineties for the most part. And then, and then when, when they did cabin in the woods, Joss Whedon and drew Goddard specifically set out to criticize a lot of the, you know, this, the dumber tropes, but also a lot of like the misogyny and stuff you see in slashers and kind of their goal was to revitalize the horror genre, which is a very lofty goal. Um, but uh, but but those two movies for me, I feel like is from the directors a very love hate relationship with the genres that enabled them to create these movies that are like that are both. You know, it it is the thing, and it is also a successful uh, satirization of the thing. You know. Oh, absolutely, and I think too, and I think this is sort of true about anything that you end up having. Um, a great love for or, or reverence for is that you start to sort of pick it apart mm -hmm. and you can become critical uh, to a degree of it because you expect so much more from it. Your expectations um, are just that great. You know what I mean? It, be it a TV show, a movie, a person. I mean, I think, this, <laughs> I think we do this, right. you know, things that we have tremendous love and adoration and reverence for. Yeah. Um, and maybe really only those things are we able to sort of like, nitpick like that yeah you know it actually i didn't i didn't think about it until just this moment when you were saying that but did you see hannah gadsby's netflix special uh nanette i think it was called i've seen parts of it okay yeah and that's i think it's a that's another example where she's been doing stand-up a long time obviously a talented stand-up comedian but that whole that whole special is her just like picking apart what stand-up comedy means and what it is and what it does. And it's, and she says repeatedly, it, it doesn't end up being her last stand-up special, but she talks about how like, this is the last one she's going to do. She's done with it. She's fucking tired of it. Uh, and it's great. It's fantastic. It's like, it, it it's, it's a great example of the thing. And it also t tears the thing apart at the same time, you know? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can even I can think of a couple uh, TV shows or perhaps a, a safer you know thing to comment on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that I have watched so many times and have such a familiarity with that I can go back now and sort of laugh through moments that at one time were so poignant and like reverent to me that like, don't you dare laugh at this moment. And now I go back and I can sort of chuckle at it because I, I recognize perhaps the, the absurdity of it or, um, or even the maudlin kind of like quality of it, you know, Mm -hmm. or even like making fun of, my own initial reaction in a way to where I was like, why did I cry about this the first time? I saw this? this is ridiculous. Right. You know? Yeah. So I think it's just, it's, it's, it's that sort of strange phenomenon that occurs with being that familiar with something, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Well, we, we are kind of running up against time here. Uh, I want to share something really quickly and then I'm going to go around and ask everybody's head cannons. But there, like I said, I really, I, I grew up watching horror movies when I was a very young kid. When we'd go to Blockbuster, I would always, I would always go to the horror section because, you know, a a lot of horror movies had boobs in them. I was a kid, I thought that was, that was what I wanted to see. But then also, it's like yeah. it was like gory and like I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be watching this. It's like you know, so I gravitated toward that as a young kid. And then when Scream came out, I was like, I was like, oh, this is fucking. This is awesome. This is great. This is kind of new and fresh. And but I remember there was a trip. Brent, do you remember when we went up to Chicago with the guys from Pumpernickel to see? Yeah. I don't. We saw the Blue Man Group and we went to uh, the Second City at, or Io. We saw a bunch of comedy with the. It was yeah. you and me and Colin and the guys from Pumpernickel. And on the way up there, I don't know why. And I, I had a large VHS collection at the time in ninety nine, two thousand, whenever this was. It was probably like yeah, two thousand, two thousand one. And we stopped at like a gas station or something and they had the VHS for, I think it was Scream 3 probably at that time on sale. What's that? I just said, (laughs) whichever VHS cop, whichever Scream movie would probably be at a gas station on sale, probably Scream 3. Probably Scream 3, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, and I was like, oh shit, I don't have that. And I bought, it was a total impulse buy. I just bought it because, you know, I was a fan of the Scream franchise. I saw it, I bought it. But then I remember uh, Brent, I think especially Colin, they're like, why the fuck? We're like going to see comedy in the sh- Chicago. Like, why the fuck are you buying a movie in a gas station on the way up to Chicago? Uh, but I, I remember vividly buying Scream 3 on VHS in some random fucking gas station. <laughs> right. You're like, I'm going to spoil all my food money yeah. on Scream 3. For Scream 3. <laughs> oh, no. Right. So, all right, well, well, do you guys uh, want to jump in with your headcanon, or do you want me to go first? It doesn't matter to me. You go first. Okay, uh, well, my headcanon is that there's somebody else behind the murders, right? Somebody paid Billy and Stu, talked him into it, paid them to do it. They didn't know who it was. It was anonymous. He did it anonymously. Um, but it was somebody who was played by the actor W. Earl Brown. And he didn't have a large role in the movie, but he was in there. Something about Mary. He played Warren. Mary's, you know, Cameron Diaz's brother. Uh, problematic, to say the least, if you go back and watch that now. Um, yeah. You know, do you have my baseball? Uh, he, he was also in other Wes Craven movies. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Vampire in Brooklyn. He was in Being John Malkovich. He was, he was in The Master. 
you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's movie. And in this movie, he's just the cameraman. He just plays Kenny, the cameraman, right? So I have to think that he paid Ben and Stu or Billy and Stu to create this news for Gail. So he obviously had a thing for Gail Weathers. He wanted to create this news for her, help her career take off. But he probably, since we know that Nev Campbell's mom was dating everybody in town, literally everybody, she also had to be dating the cameraman. So then he was probably upset. You know, ha- paid them to kill this woman who who scorned him, broke his heart, was married to Sydney's dad, and dating Billy's dad and every other man in the town. And then, you know, so a year later, he's like, well, I'm going to off her daughter and off all these other kids, too, uh, to make news for Gail, who is my new, my new set focus, you know, my new center of, of attention. Uh, but what he didn't expect was that he would get caught in the crossfire and and they and it would the violence would bleed into his news van and he would get his own throat slit by by the you know his own machinations so that's that's my head kid is that Kate, a good one. Kenny the cameraman is actually behind everything yeah <laughs> do you want to go Nicole or should I um you can go oh my okay Mine, mine goes from the ET universe. I think that <laughs> I, I, I feel, I feel that Casey is actually Gertie. Okay. And she's all grown up. And what you don't know is that she, after all the whole ET thing, the mother she had a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. and Gertie was a, was was put up for adoption. Mm. And this new, this new family, and really, what's going on is it's it's Gertie's mom, actual mom, but the cat costume that she wears on Halloween has just evolved over the years to be to like more and more of like material. And, and she, I'm making this up as I go. And so, and so she, she 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 finally like goes and she she's starting to murder everyone in in the town. That's my thing. All right, Nicole, what's uh, what do you got? What's your headcanon? Okay, well, my my more complicated headcanon um, gets a little thwarted because of Scream Three uh-huh. um, with Roman Bridger, okay. um, the the Scott Foley character, because we find out, spoiler alert, uh, that he is the illegitimate son of Maureen Prescott, mm-hmm. and he he is in fact the person who like engineered or orchestrated all the killings that we see in scream one he's okay. he was like some sort of like thwarted film student or whatever and like uh and then ends up taking like spy footage of maureen prescott and all of her affairs sends the stuff to billy and he's and to convince him that like look at what this woman did she ruined your life and your parents marriage whatever you should kill her right and and so and I don't know if that like was always Kevin Williamson's like plan or if that somehow got shoehorned and then after watching Scream 3 you're supposed to go back to Scream 1 and be like, "Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I see." So if that is truly the case and like we want to take that into account, then it gets real sort of complicated my head canon. But if we just want to look at Scream 1 as like an isolated universe mm-hmm. where Roman Bridger doesn't exist, then I'm sort of on the same page that you are, Corey, and I think that um, Gail did this uh, to sort of like I think something's uh, th- there's got to be some sort of past history with her and Cotton uh-huh. and that's why she's 
really adamant that like it's not him he couldn't possibly have done this he's an innocent man and she hires these people to uh to orchestrate um this crazy killing spree um or maybe even just sort of like scare Sydney right Sydney because my boyfriend is in jail and he's going right. to get gassed. Oh, you know, he doesn't deserve it. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of thing. And then like, um, and, but she doesn't count for the fact that like Billy is sort of psychotic and Stu uh, is, you know, apparently very sensitive to peer pressure. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, 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 and bored, bored apparently, and has the means to, cause where the hell are Stu's parents? And, uh, like ever. Right. And so, yeah, that's sort of where my headcanon goes is that it's, it's all sort of to fuel Gail's career and her book sales um, and to sort of amp up her own career. Cause you think about it too. She's still, she does. Um, she's still living, you know what I mean? Like yeah. up to scream five, right? She survives. Yeah. So what, what craziness would it be actually if we come to find out that in scream five, it has been Gail. That would be awesome. That would be, yeah. Because all three of them, yeah, uh, Courtney Cox, Nev Campbell, and David Arquette, they're all three returning for this fifth one. So, yep. oh, and, I, wow. and I and I like how in your description, I'm not clear, because this movie makes it pretty clear that Cotton Weary did not do it, that it was right. Billy and Stu. And I'm not sure if in your description, if you were sticking, I think you were sticking with that, but what if even crazier was that, you know, because people fall in love with people in jail all the time. Like, serial killers routinely get married to people who have been, like, writing them letters. What if Cotton Weary did kill her mom, but then Gail Weathers, like, fell in love with him and he was able to convince her, like, hey, it's not me. We right. we, we need to find a way to get me out of jail. Like, you should coerce these two boys into murdering a bunch of people, clearing my good name, you know, so we I can get out. I can get out and we can be together, you know. I like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think there, there's some, there's something there and you might even be able to like parlay, like even, even these headcanons right. into, into like everything that like Roman talks about in Scream 3 too. Like it could be even like more complicated, you know what I mean? But then I feel like we're, it's no longer even headcanon. Like we are, we have now gone into the realm of like, we have, we are rewriting the entire Lot right now and i mean like actually like right. we are rewriting the entire lore right but but <laughs> which is such a meta thing for us to do right <laughs> just like in the scream movie that's right yeah so it's fitting yeah, <laughs> yeah. next week we're going to be talking about one of my personal favorite movies 1979's alien so make sure to revisit that or check that out before next week. And as always, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook at Danger Explosion Presents Headcanon, on Instagram at Pod, on Twitter at Horror Movie Pod, or you can visit the subreddit r slash horror movie pod. Nicole, it's been a pleasure having you. Is there anything you want to talk about or plug or direct people to while you got, got the mic? hurrah makeup series um dropping december 17th and it sort of leads all the way up to uh to december 25th okay. um and it's uh it's the nutcracker 
um, just sort of my interpretation um, of a few sort of standout characters. Um, and it's, again, like I said, it's just sort of one last hurrah of 2021, and then I will be signing off for the year, and then I'll return sometime in the spring. <laughs> After out of hibernation. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I take that hibernating shit seriously. Yeah. <laughs> right? Every right. other animal does it. It's right. dumb that we don't. Yeah. Especially, especially with the uh, the Omicron variant on the horizon. Yeah, we all, everybody just needs a hole up. All right. Well, thank you again, Nicole. It's, it's always a pleasure having you. Brent, anything you want to say before we sign off here? Um, no, I'm okay. Okay. Just a little, little bit of vape for you. And uh, thank you again. This has been <laughs> Head Cannon. <laughs> <laughs>